Welcome to the Christian Renewal Church Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org. Good morning. My name is Bill Otten, and I will be your personal trainer today. (laughs) This place has a buzz. I've been in and out a lot, but it's exciting to see what's going on here and uh, all the new faces and uh, just the energy in this place has gone to another level. And so that's exciting. That's contagious. Amen. Uh, I, uh, I left you sometime in May uh, in the book of Acts. <laughs> so I'm going to pick up in the book of Acts this morning for our word. And uh, we went through chapter 9. And so now we're getting to chapter 10. And, of course, Acts is the story of the ministries of the apostles, mostly Peter and Paul, and the expansion of the gospel through the Roman Empire. And we come to chapter 10, which is one of the most significant events here in this chapter in the history of Christianity, which is the record of the opening of the door of faith to the Gentiles. And so I want to begin reading in chapter 10, and I'll start reading in verse 1. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. I'm just going to go ahead and continue reading. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth (laughs) and birds of the air. God loves to give us illustrations, doesn't he? We got that unclean thing out of here. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, By no means, Lord, have I ever eaten anything unholy or unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. 
Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. And what is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. We'll stop right there. But I, I, I want to I look at the different characters that are in this chapter and how God used men to bring the gospel and open up the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. First, we see, I see, he chooses Cornelius and prepares Cornelius so when the gospel was to be extended to the Gentiles, I can see God's wisdom in the description that we have of Cornelius. It says here that Cornelius was a centurion. Now, uh, he was a leader. Now, it's not necessary to be a, a leader, to be used of God. Most of the time he uses weak people, the foolish things of this world. But in this case, and for this task, he chose a man who was a leader, a Roman officer, over a hundred soldiers. Now, a legion is 6,000 soldiers, a, a cohort or a regiment is 600. And so there were 10 of these, in, and he was over 100 soldiers. They were the backbone of the Roman army. They were men of great character who through loyalty, skill, and courage, they worked their way up the ranks. And so they're expected to lead by example and display great courage on the battlefield. And so this was his choice. Was he, he picked a leader for this task. The second thing I see in Cornelius in the description that we have, not just a centurion, but a devout man who feared God, gave many alms, and prayed. I see that. Cornelius was a seeker. And his alms and prayers had arisen before God as an acceptable sacrifice. You know, it speaks to me that what we do down here, even what the unsaved man does here on the earth, is making a mark in heaven. And so there was a presence before God. And when it came time for him to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, he's looking and he says, I'll take Cornelius. He's the guy I want. I've got a seeker here. And you see, it's true with Cornelius that those that are seekers get rewarded. They do. They get used of God because they have, if you will, the heart of God. God chooses Cornelius because Cornelius was choosing God. See? And so uh, he, he became the figure that God uses because uh, he was responding to the grace of God. John chapter 7 and verse 17 says, If any man is willing to do his will, he will know the truth. When someone is seeking the Lord, I mean, you know, he's pursuing the unsaved man and he's giving grace. But when that man begins to turn his heart, See, I can remember when that began to happen to me. 
You might remember when it began to happen to you. I, I was just a drunk, you know, and we were drinking and partying, doing dope every night. And, but I had this one picture that stays in my mind. I remember after I was sitting in the front seat of my 1973 blue Chevy Nova. I wish I still had that car. It's a classic. And I was there with my best friend, Sean. And it must have been 2, 3 in the morning, and we had been sitting outside of my house in the car. Of course, we had been high and drinking and carrying on all night, but we, for hours, sat in that car talking about God. Neither one of us knew him, but the Holy Spirit was drawing upon my heart. And just as he drew upon your heart, when God sees a response, bam, you see... And so he chooses Cornelius because in Cornelius was a response to him. So enough about Cornelius, uh, but this is one part of the equation here. God chooses Cornelius, and one of the things he says to him in verse 5, he says, Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man. Now, this speaks very loudly to me that the preaching of the gospel and the extension of the kingdom in the earth is in the hands and in the mouth of men. It is not the duty of angels. It is, that's a task not given to the angels, but a task that's been given unto men. And I see this through the scriptures. You know, when I, when I, when I go back a couple chapters, even in the book of Acts, some of the ones that we've studied, Philip was sent by an angel to go be the voice to speak to the Ethiopian. And then you had Saul, who was persecuting the church, it, it was a man to preach the gospel. And in this case, Jesus himself confronted Saul. See, it is our job. It is, it, the, the words of life are in our mouths now. It is not the duty of angels. And so he had to seek or had to send a man because earthly authority has been invested in flesh and man. And let me just, I've said this principle many times, but it's so important in the fabric of working with heaven is angels don't have authority in the earth. God has given the authority of the earth into the hands of men. What we bind is bound. What we loose is loose. And so God's manifestation to come into the earth, it's necessary for praying, believing, obedient men and women to partner with the Spirit of God in order for the manifestation of God to happen in the earth. I think we all got that. See, it's so, it's so much set up this way that when man lost the authority of the earth, it took a man, God becoming a man. This is the purpose of the incarnation, becoming a man so that he could gain back the authority in the earth. And Jesus will have this authority forever because forever... He is a man. There is a man on the throne in heaven. And there will be a man on the throne in Jerusalem for ages to come, ruling the nations, even as he promised to David that one of his descendants will sit on the throne and rule the nations forever. It takes somebody with flesh. And so what God has invested in responsibility for all of us that have an earth suit is the preaching of the gospel. So he was to send for a man. So our obedience is a vital link for the continuing work of the kingdom on the earth. Now, he prepares Cornelius. 
But now, in verses 9 through 33, we see God preparing Peter. He's preparing his messenger. Peter needed some internal work to be done to be a part of this task. Um, We really have to get into the culture of the scriptures that we read. Peter was a very good Jew, a good law-abiding Jew, raised in the law and raised in Jewish tradition. And there were many laws and rules that were stacked up that kept the Jews a separated nation from the other nations of the world. Uh, They were exclusive in this way. The Gentiles were not to be associated with. They were unclean. And it was assumed that they were uh, idolaters, morally deficient. They called them dogs. And this is all before the rise of Christianity, but it was very strong in this day that they had nothing to do with the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, when Jesus... uh, crossed that barrier, speaking to Gentiles, ministering to Gentiles, and even mentioning Gentiles in his teaching as having faith, this was such an offense to the Pharisees that they were so shocked that he was associating with sinners and publicans. It was such a religious no-no. Um, I, had a, I had a Bible school teacher that talked about a time when he went to uh, Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, he was a very nice fellow, uh, and he was walking through the marketplace, and he was walking up to one of the merchants, and he said, Shalom to him. And they started having a conversation, and he shook hands with him, and they're having this conversation. And in the midst of this conversation, this Jewish merchant realized he was talking to a Gentile. And and. My teacher, Ron, could see this Jewish merchant take his hand back away and wipe it down the back of his robe. See, that he had touched what was to be untouchable. See, this is the mentality that the Jewish nation had. And what, what all these laws did was it kept them a separated nation. For the purpose of redemption, for the purpose of God. I mean, there was a purpose in that, but there was a change in in this whole procedure. I'll, let me share that verse of scripture with you uh, now in in Ephesians chapter two. I'm going to read this verse. It says it best in the second chapter of Ephesians, in chapter two, verses eleven through nineteen, and th- and this is what we have today. When Paul is writing, he says, Therefore remember that you formerly, you, the Gentiles in the flesh, were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, the Jews, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, I like those words, something's changed. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The sacrifice of Christ makes a difference here. 
For he himself is our peace who made both groups, the Gentiles and the Jews, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. And by it, having put to death the enmity, he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father." So then, you are no longer strangers. There's a good place to say hallelujah. And aliens, you are now fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, this is where Peter lived. This was his mindset. This, is, this was his culture. This is how he grew up. And he had to be jolted out of his prejudice and the traditional exclusion that he had toward the Gentiles. Or he couldn't have been used in this situation. He, he wouldn't have even walked into the house of Cornelius. And so while God had prepared Cornelius, he's setting things up. I love it when God sets things up. He's at work in the earth when we're cooperating with him. And so he had to get Peter jolted out of his own prejudice. And in verse 17 in chapter 10... Uh, you can see some of Peter's mindset when he says this. After this vision came, verse 17 says, Peter was greatly perplexed in mind. <laughs> you know, this went so crossways to the way of his thinking. His Jewish mindset concerning the Gentiles had to be changed in order for him to be used by God. Additionally, not only his mindset toward the Gentiles, but any mindset he had about Cornelius. Cornelius, he could have thought, you know, you know he was a Roman soldier, all right? He was represented the despised occupation that they were under by the Roman Empire. And he was an enemy, if you would, to the Jew. Peter could have thought Roman soldiers are wicked, sensual, worldly pagans. And he would have entirely missed and misjudged Cornelius and missed his opportunity to be used in opening the door to the Gentiles. Cornelius, on the other side, could have thought, what am I supposed to learn from an uneducated fisherman who's living with some stinky tanner? He probably has never been outside of Palestine what could he teach a well-traveled, decorated Roman officer like myself? And he would have missed the blessing. Now, we see in verse 34, I think we need to go ahead and read this, the rest of the story here. Verse 23, it says, On the next day he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him on their way to uh, Caesarea the following day, Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met them and fell at his feet and worshipped him. Now, you know, previously Cornelius had an encounter with an angel, so he really didn't know who Peter was, perhaps thinking, you know, another angel. And he, he fell at his feet to worship him. 
And Peter raised him up saying, Stand up, for I too am just a man. And he talked with them, and he entered, and he found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me. He, he got the idea. He, he, he got the revelation of what God was teaching him by letting this sheet down with all these clean and unclean animals, both Jew and Gentile together. Uh, this was how he spoke to him. Uh, telling him to arise and eat, you know, it's probably he was he was waiting for lunch to get fixed, right? He could probably smell the food, and, and God used all that to give a message to him about Jews and Gentiles, and that no longer calling Gentiles unclean. And so he does get the message here. He says, "Now I know what God's been trying to say to me. He has shown me." It says in verse twenty-eight. Uh, that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked, for what reason you have sent for me? Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all present before God to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I certainly understand now, okay, he got it, that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, let me just stop right there. Uh, Peter's new revelation was that God was not one to show partiality. See, it was deeply rooted opinion among the Jews that God's exclusive favor was theirs. It belonged to the Jews, the descendants of Jacob, that they were exclusive of all other nations on the earth. Now, Peter saw uh, and was now convinced that God was no respecter of persons. All are guilty before God. All must stand before God, and God's mercy has been extended to every man, and the Jew did not have some special credit with God. That's a pretty big revelation for a Jew, okay? But it had been in the Scriptures that, that the, God was going to pour His Spirit out upon all flesh, and that the gospel was to go to all the nations, but because of all the rules and regulations to keep them a nation separate, it, it worked into the heart of the Jews to be exclusive of the other nations and saw themselves as exclusive. So all of this has changed in his thinking. And so uh, now that Peter has had this change of mind, he could become a useful vessel now. You see, he had the keys to the kingdom. That's what Jesus said to him. And these keys opened the door. He see, he opened the door to the gospel for the Jews on the day of Pentecost. And then the gospel was opened to the Samaritans. Well, Peter was going, Jesus said to him, I give you the keys. He said this to the disciples. You're going to be used of me to open the gospel to come to the Gentiles. 
Thank God I'm a Gentile. I'm glad the gospel came this way. Thank God it just didn't rest in one nation. But God's heart is for every man and every nation. And the one that seeks him can find him. And those that call upon him will be saved. Young, old, black, white, rich, poor, doesn't matter. All of us have the same access to the mercy of God. And I need a bigger amen than that. Amen. So this is the, this is the preparation that Peter went through. Now, here's my point. Do you think that there may be some prejudices and traditions that we're unaware of that can hinder us in reaching out to certain classes of people? Duh. Let me elaborate. Prejudice is an attitude we can easily discern in other people. But here's how we say it. There's not a prejudice bone in my body. And I don't want to say it. it's not in your bones. It's in the flesh. And it takes the Holy Spirit to expose that and reveal that because we can't even see our own culture. We can't see our own traditions that can become a hindrance for others to be touched with the gospel. You know, let, me, let me share a quote I was, I was reading this week I, just for fun. Uh, many of you may remember this quote because it was sort of a, a famous little news uh, brief that uh, Donald Rumsfeld was giving to the press. Uh, D- Donald Rumsfeld was the Secretary of Defense, actually during Gerald Ford's uh, administration, but also through George Bush's administration. He was the Minister of Defense. And during the wars over on the other side of the ocean, uh, he was having these moments with the press and concerning the danger of weapons and terrorists and everything else, he said this. He said, there are known knowns. These are things that we don't know. And there are known unknowns. That is to say, there are things that we know we don't know. And then there are also unknown unknowns. These are the things we don't know we don't know. I thought that was just such a classic <laughs> explanation. That let me say it this way. We're often clueless. Is it, to say it differently, that we can't see how our own culture and how our own traditions have so affected us, and we can't see our own prejudices. Let me elaborate. I was... Um, told the story before, but I was at the post office in middle Georgia, Dublin, Georgia, where I lived. And that day, it was the first of the month. And there in the post office was quite a crowd first of the month because government checks come out first of the month. And so uh, it always, you know, when I step into the post office to get to my, my mailbox, the place is crowded. And I go, oh, First of the month, everybody's waiting for checks. And there was something on the inside of me that began to look down my self-righteous nose at classifying people as just freeloading, unemployed, depending on my tax dollars, kind of attitude was rising up in me. And 
Uh, I didn't recognize it. I, I've, we all are right in our own eyes. Well, as I was driving away from the post office, I wasn't one block away. And here's what the Holy Spirit so loud said to me, and it changed my life. He said, stop being disgusted with people. Yes, sir. <laughs> I, you know, they're all different. Don't look at me so holy. There are classes of people in which we often look down our self-righteous nose at. You know, whether they be gang members and, or drug dealers or, you know, perverts or you know, politicians, you know, whatever. Uh, we view ourselves, like the Pharisees, as more righteous than that group of people. And we look at that group of people with contempt. See, And I was in the middle of doing that, but I couldn't see it. But it took the Holy Spirit to say, hey, stop being disgusted with the people that I love. Now, the next day I was reading in the book of Matthew where sinners and publicans were drawn to Jesus. And the Pharisees were all upset about it. He's eating with sinners. And right then, again, that same voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit spoke up to me and said, Bill... You are despising the very people that I am drawing to myself. This is not going to work. You can't be my vessel if you've got this attitude in your heart toward this particular group of people. Now that was the issue that I had with that particular group that had to change in my heart in order for me to be a vessel to reach them. Have you ever noticed how we have a tendency to classify people See, that, that person that's driving slower than you, he's in the classification of jerk. And the one who's always driving faster than you is in the classification of maniac. We've got labels that we throw left and right on people. And once we put labels on people, it changes our attitude. Our fallen nature is prone to exalt itself and marginalize those which are different. And we make judgments according to outward appearances or circumstances. Whether that be color of skin, whether that be education, whether that be wealth. We, we do this. We classify people. See, in the ancient world, anybody that wasn't speaking Greek, there were Greek speakers and non-Greek speakers, all non-Greek speakers were called ignorant barbarians and made fun of by the way they spoke. Now, listen to this. Even in the writings of Aristotle, he said this, just, just as in us. He said, those who live in the cold lands to the north have plenty of courage and spirit, but little skill and intelligence. Those who live in the warm south have plenty of skill and intelligence and culture, but little spirit and courage. Only the Greeks lived in a climate designed by nature to produce the perfectly blended character. The wisest among us is prejudice. So when we view ourselves as the ideal and everybody else as less than, we become Pharisees. See, the, the, they, the Pharisees judged the hearts of all Samaritans as evil. As a matter of fact, that's what they said about Jesus. He said, did we, did we not rightly say that you're a Samaritan and have a devil? 
All Samaritans are just full of the devil. And that's not true. Because we see accounts in scripture where there were seekers among the Samaritans. And when Jesus went there, he had two days of revival of men and women that wanted to know God. But we classify like this. Uh, A white supremacist can judge all men with colored skin as less than human. A black man can judge all white men as oppressive and heartless. This is called prejudice. It is a prejudgment made upon a person, most of the time an unfavorable preconceived opinion. It's the common tendency to over-categorize people, to stereotype. It lumps people together on the basis of some common characteristic. And then it regards every member of that group as having that same characteristic. I mean, and it's something that's subconsciously done. For example, uh, (laughs) politics really shows this. I mean, all you got to do is just cruise through Facebook a little bit, and you'll see all kinds of prejudice. All those who voted for Trump are white supremacist deplorables. The whole bunch. All those who voted for Bernie Sanders are just ignorant socialists. Right? All liberals just want us to destroy America. All rich people are just rich because they oppress the poor. They're oppressors. And so we do this and we categorize people. Especially in politics, we do it. Now, you know, I would wonder if, if a sheet came down. See, when I was driving down the road from the post office, a sheet came down in my car. You see? And I heard the voice of the Lord stop calling these people unclean. Quit calling these people deplorables. Quit calling these people this. Or that, or that. That is not my attitude, and your attitude will keep you from opening the door of the gospel to their life. And so we have Peter being dealt with, but you know, he, he's dealing with us as well. I wonder if a sheet came down in your bedroom, what wrong attitudes might get revealed to you? This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want to say is it may not manifest an outward discrimination or even an ethnic war. People will go to war simply because they have different religious beliefs, you know, or different uh, cultural roots. I mean, they war with one another. Even though they were neighbors one day, the next day when the government changed, they're killing their own neighbor. That's what men do. Uh, But it may not manifest like that, but here's how it manifests. Very subtly, it may manifest in exclusiveness or lack of social compassion for a particular group. Once we label someone, our attitude is affected. And our prejudice might manifest in suspicion or lack of sympathy. And an attitude that maybe they're getting what they deserve. James had to deal with this. James called it favoritism and the sin of partiality. And in their situation... In the early church, there was both rich and poor. There was both slave and free, slave owners and slaves, all coming to the same church. And when a rich man came in, he got more attention and more favor than the slave who wasn't dressed very nice. James said, none of this. 
This grieves the Holy Spirit of God. But before God's eyes, there isn't those distinctions. But you're putting distinctions and you're putting judgments upon men. And this is what James was dealing with in the second chapter of James. Now, if we would be used of God, which we want, let me, let me say what I have been so thrilled with recently. Leaders, we leaders had a meeting uh, Friday night. And what a delight it was to hear Pastor Caleb in his vision, his missional vision, and a, and a, and a structural pattern to help us become more of a missional church. I mean, it was just rich. It was good. It was wonderful. And, and so this is the future for us, is we're going to obey the great commission of God. <laughs> and if we would be used of God, you can expect the Holy Spirit to let down the sheet in your life and point out any attitudes that are going to be a hindrance because you're praying, oh God, search me. See if there be any wrong attitudes in me that would hinder your work in any way to my neighbors, to my world. If I have opinions and judgments, prejudgments, prejudices that I have made upon even people in my own neighborhood that are becoming a hindrance for the gospel, Holy Spirit, let down that sheet in my life and show me and teach me and give me revelation. See, he prepares the messenger just like he prepared Peter. You know, it's been said that people are first drawn to Christians before they're drawn to Christ. And so the attitude of acceptance, the attitude of mercy, the attitude of generosity, all the attitude of Christ, the aroma of Christ is coming through us. And we are not like the world that can turn our nose up at someone that has a different political stance than you do. Uh, see, that's a big one these days. Peter allowed his soul to be purged of his prejudice and became useful. Now, I want you to, I want you to see something. I want you to see, we're going to go to Acts chapter 11. And I want you to see Peter's account of what happened here. Verse uh, 1, he was at a council at Jerusalem, and he's explaining what had taken place with the Gentiles receiving the, the message of the gospel and getting saved. And he began to tell the council uh, that verse 5, he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw all the four-footed animals of the earth and wild beasts and crawling creatures and birds of the air. And I also heard a verse saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent by me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me. 
And we entered the man's house, and he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house, saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who was called Peter, brought here, for he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and your household. That so strikes me that Peter had words that had to be spoken. These were the keys of the kingdom. Peter and you and I have the words of life for those around us. I mean, this is a powerful responsibility. It's not going to come through the mouth of angels. See? The heavens aren't going to open up with a scroll that has the gospel. There is one way the gospel is going to come to those around us. We actually have the opportunity to speak words that will lead someone to life. I'm telling you, that's powerful. And I want you to see uh, how Peter says this. when he gets to Cornelius' house, if you're reading with me, I'm in chapter 10, verse 34, and I want you to see the gospel that comes out of his mouth. Verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him, who does right, is welcome to him. Now, I want you to see the elements of these verses that he's speaking The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Here he's he's listing the status of Jesus, who he is. He is the Lord of all. Verse 37, you yourselves know the thing which took place through all Judea, starting in Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. This is the incarnation. This is... Christ was sent and anointed by God. In verse 39, he said, We are witnesses of all the things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and they put him to death. Here's the crucifixion. He's he's preaching the gospel to them. Here is a man. He's Lord of all. He was sent by God and did a work in the earth. He was crucified. And in verse 40, he says, And God raised him up. Now he's speaking of the resurrection. And on the third day, and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to the witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who's been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Now he's proclaiming that the rest of this gospel, that every man will stand before him, that he's the judge of the living and the dead. Do you see all the elements of the gospel being preached here by Peter? And then he says, uh, And of him the prophets bear witness through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. The whole gospel here, he, he says it all in about one minute and ten seconds. I, I, I timed myself. That's how quickly he got the gospel out. And and listen, here's what happens. While Peter was speaking these words of life, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. Kaboom, they're saved. 
Life comes to them because of words. Because these are keys that open the heart. These are words that the Holy Spirit's power accompanies. The power, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And you've got it in your mouth. Now, just as God prepared a Cornelius and because he prepared a, a Peter... He wants you and I to be prepared. I want to show you a verse of scripture. If you will, go with me to First um, Peter chapter 3, verse 15. You see, while, whereas Peter was opening the door, Jesus rebuked the lawyers and the scribes and the Pharisees because they had taken away the key of knowledge, he said, and you yourselves did not enter, and you hinder those others from entering. And he said to the scribes and Pharisees, Because you shut off the... He said, woe to you. He was cursing them. You have shut the door of the kingdom to others. But we want to be those that open the door. And I want to give you three exhortations, okay, about being used and being prepared by God. Three exhortations. And we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And here is what Peter says to us. Now, let let me prep this a little bit. Prejudice can definitely be a hindrance. You know, it keeps us exclusive for some groups of people and hinders them from hearing the gospel. But there are several more hindrances that keep the gospel from flowing out. And uh, a big one is fear. Fear of man. It's huge. Fear of what people think. Fear of opening my mouth and being rejected by sharing these words of life. I mean, we all know that one. We have insecurities that dominate and that keep our mouths shut. That's one of the things. And then there's others. There's, we're so absorbed with our own needs and with our own desires that we're thinking about ourselves. That's self-centeredness that while I am trying to figure out how I can make that boat payment, this guy here has got a much bigger problem. He's going to hell. And I, and I possess the words of life to change the course of his very life. But if I'm too occupied with making money, I'm too occupied. See, John Lake, he finally had to, he was a money maker. But he, 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 he got so burdened for the souls of men that uh, he, 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 he just diverted his life because it was more important. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to quit their job and go into the ministry. That's not my point. My point is becoming so mindful of those around us. That's one of the hindrances is when we're not mindful. But here's a verse to me that helps us with overcoming our fears. 1 Peter 3, 15. Here's what Peter says. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Big point there. Always be prepared to give an answer. That's what we're talking about, how Peter was prepared. But always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I want to say something about preparation. Preparation increases our confidence. Training decreases our insecurities. When you know... (laughs) Remember the first time you got into a car <laughs> as a teenager? Were you nervous? <laughs> yeah. You know, I peeled out the first time I hit that. Yes, but I remember I was with, 
the, the, it was my turn in the driver's ed class to get in the driver's seat. I had never been behind the wheel of a car. I'm 15 years old. Never been behind the wheel of a car yet. And we were on a gravel parking lot at a church, I think. And it was my turn to drive. And so I got behind there, and he told me to put my foot on the gas. And, man, I put my foot on the gas. And I threw gravel all over that lot. I was nervous. All I needed was some training to gain confidence to be a driver. And when you get trained in your tools and when you get uh, prepared, fear no longer will dominate you in some areas. And so in the area of one of the most important things we can be a part of, and that is giving the words of life to someone else, what better thing to be prepared in is to be able to give an answer of the hope that's within you. Okay? That's what will help us overcome our fears. Now, let me give you a few little examples here that would be helpful about being prepared. See, when you're prepared for the moment, God will prepare the moment for you. Let me, let me share. Those of you that saw a post that I, I did last Sunday or last Monday, uh, last Sunday, this, this stuff happens all the time. Because if you're prepared, uh, God will use you. And, uh, you know, this, everybody seemed to like this story, so I'm going to share it with you. I was, uh, I'm from a family of 16, and uh, so we were always late for everything. And I always hated being late. And so to this day, I'm ultra early for everything. Just, I just am. It's annoying. I'm so ultra early. And uh, I, I, was, I was preaching in Tifton, Georgia last Sunday, and I was staying at the Hilton Garden Inn, and... I got up, I had my breakfast, I had my clothes ironed, I was showered and fed, and I had my notes all ready, and I had meditated my message well, and, and, I, and I'm ready to go. But I still have an hour and a half before I have to leave the hotel to get to the church. I mean, I'm just ready. And so I, so I thought, well, I'll just pray in spirit some more. And so I'm, I'm pacing my hotel room, praying in the spirit, and finally I just can't take it anymore. i got to get out of here. You know, and so I'd, I'd just as soon go to the church, meet some people, connect and relate. And so I got my stuff together and I rolled out the door and I got into the elevator. And when I got into the elevator, there was a, uh, a, a young black haired Asian woman there in the, and, and I, I was a little shocked. I didn't know she was going up or down. So I said, you going down? She said, yes, I'm going down. So I, I rolled on my cart on in. And she spoke to me. She said, are you going home? You don't usually get spoken to in an elevator, you know, uh, like that. And so I said, uh, no, I, I'm here for a meeting this morning. And I noticed uh, that she was Asian. So I said, where are you from? She said, China. Well, I have been going to China for the last 23, 24 years. And, and so I, I told her that. And, of course, she lit up. And we're all the way down to the first floor. We're having this conversation, and we're best of buddies. By the time the the, uh, elevator doors open, and I'm she's there to get a cup of coffee in the lobby. I'm there to check out. And so as I'm checking out, she's getting a cup of coffee. But neither one of us wanted to quit the conversation. We wanted to continue the conversation that we're having. So we sat down right there in the lobby. And for the next half hour, I knew this was a Holy Ghost setup. That this Chinese missionary would step into this elevator at the exact moment that this Chinese girl is coming down the elevator. You see, God's at work. 
Now, that, that wasn't intentional on my part, but that was just providential. And you see, when you're prepared and ready, and God knows that you'll give in obedience to the Spirit of God, the words of life to someone, he'll set things up for you. I love these setups. They're fun. You get addicted to them after a while. So I was able to share the gospel with her. And uh, uh, anyway, you, you got the idea. And what I want to say about preparation is to have your nets ready. I had stuff in the car for her. I like to keep tracks in the car. Uh, be prepared. Have that healing card, uh, you know, for next Sunday's healing uh, meeting. Keep, keep some in your car. And when you find somebody that's sick, you're prepared. See, if you've got some tracks in your car, you're prepared. Maybe, maybe you're intimidated to share the gospel with your own mouth. But I'll tell you what, the wonder of the printing press. You can share it like that. Hey, listen, I got. have you read this story? You know, I love to take tracks overseas. And, and the way to hand out a track, I says, did you get one of these? And they well, no, and they take it. And you've put within their hands the ability to read the words of life that could change their eternal destiny. Just a little preparation that helps us reach out. And there's, there's many more things to do concerning preparation, uh, you, you know, and just sharing our own testimony and, and, and learning how to share the gospel. Uh, when, earlier in the study of, of the book of Acts, when Peter and John were standing before the rulers of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, uh, they took the opportunity and in 26 seconds presented the gospel. Go ahead. You can read how he presented the gospel and it only took 26 seconds. You can plant a seed into somebody's life of who you are and the way to life. You can do it in 26 seconds. Practice it. <laughs> or your testimony. You should be able to give your testimony in about 30 seconds. And so being prepared, because if you're prepared, a moment will happen for you. I would say, number one, be prepared. It's my first exhortation. Get prepared. Do what it takes to get prepared. Number two, be intentional. See, uh, Pastor Caleb shared a story with me uh, the other day that... Uh, he, he made a decision to get a haircut at a particular location because at that location, he wanted to have access to the particular people group that he would not usually associate with, but he wanted to have a doorway and be intentional and being a presence in that people group. Am I right, Caleb? Is that right? Yeah, congratulations, buddy. Being intentional. One of the things I have done for years, and I still do, just just little ideas, and not that all of you have to do this, but being mindful of those around us, I don't use bank drive-thrus. They're, they're too impersonal for me. I get out of the car. I walk into the bank where there are tellers waiting, and you walk up to the counter with a big smile. And you hand your deposits. And you do that every week, a couple times a week, however much you're in the bank. And you become familiar. Your face becomes familiar. There's no glass wall between you and another person. And here's, here's the way it happens in, in Dublin, Georgia, for me. It really hooked me on it. Is, uh, uh, they, at, at some point, you arrive in the bank when there's nobody else in there. And you're just chatting with the tellers who've seen your face every day for the last six months. 
And then, you know, they, they know who you are. They know what you do. They know you're a Christian. They know you're a preacher. And they start pouring out their problems to you. They start pouring out their prayer requests to you. And this relationship develops of, of feeding them with life. And I can remember, I want you to understand that this is, this is, this is Jesus. It isn't, you don't live with me. You, you wouldn't say this if you lived with me. But I walked through the door and I heard one of them say, oh, here comes Bill, Mr. Hutton. Uh, he's, he's, one of our, he's our favorite customer. I wasn't meant to hear that, but I heard that. That means I had a line into them by being in front of them every day and not the impersonal drive-through. Now, I'm, I'm, drive-throughs are great. You know, don't, don't get me wrong, but this is just a practice that I had to be intentional to step into people's lives. Now, I haven't gone to the happy hour in my neighborhood yet, um, but every neighborhood here has some activities for you to be present in. And when light comes in the midst of darkness, it's going to have an impact. And so being intentional with the light we carry and the words of life that we have will make a difference. And my third exhortation to you, the first one's be prepared. The second's be intentional. And, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, go knocking on doors uh, and, and present the gospel in two minutes and get out of there. But in your everyday life, going to the bank... Going, you see, it just becomes part of you. You're going to walk your dog? Just knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, I'm going to go walk the dog. You want to walk with me? It's just everyday lifestyle living. We can include those that need to hear and receive what we have to give. And, of course, the, the last one I, I have for you is, of course, obedience to the leading of the Spirit. How important is that? He is looking for a vessel. A prepared one, one that can hear his voice and will say yes, get through his fears. Um, and I'll share this story. I've shared it before. I was, I was coming back from China. I was in Beijing. And when I got to the airport, I realized, ah, I forgot to call the airline to get that upgraded seat that I can get within 24 or 48 hours. You know, I'll get the extra room. I'll get the aisle seat that I, I know exactly what seats I want on these flights. I'm on them all the time. But uh, I, I, I didn't have the seat I wanted, but I, I, I'm usually traveling somewhere from to get to Beijing, and I didn't have the opportunity to call the airlines and get that cushier seat. And so I went up to the counter, and I said, listen, uh, um, you know, I'm a gold member or whatever. And I said, uh, is there a seat that's opened up yet in this business section or whatever, you know, because it's a 13-hour flight and uh, I uh, worship my comfort. <laughs> it's one of the idols in my life. And uh, she said, no, no, I'm sorry. The plane's full. Da, 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 da. So I went and sat down. And so, you know, about a half hour later, I went back up. And I kept doing this. I kept going up to the counter and see if some seat had opened up and somebody had canceled the reservation. So I wasn't getting anywhere. And as I was walking back to my seat, the Holy Spirit, I heard the Holy Spirit say, will you trust me in this? And that's when I realized that a setup was coming. And I had to sacrifice my comfort and sit in a middle seat. God! You saw my sacrifice. Reward me. But he told me to chill out. And so I did. I just sat there. And then when it came time to board the plane, I had a middle seat. 
Now, on the left side of me was a, was a Vietnamese woman. And uh, on the right side of me was a Chinese woman. Spoke good English. And uh, she was on her way to America. Her son was graduating uh, from college. Uh, found that out later. But anyway, uh, we just got to chat in a little bit. And she said, what do you do? I said, well, I said, I'm a Bible teacher. And her eyes lit up. She reached in her bag underneath her seat and she pulled out a youth edition of the Bible that's illustrated with cartoons and everything else that she had purchased 22 years before. And she pulled it off of her shelf that morning so she could have something to read on the flight. It had collected dust for 22 years. But yet she put it in her bag that day and she said, you know, I have so many questions. I, I, I haven't never really been able to talk to somebody that was a Bible teacher. I, and, and she had all these questions. And so all the way to Chicago, she had questions and she was such a fast learner. And of course, she got born again on that flight. And she was, everybody else was tired and grumpy, but she was smiling and radiant because she got born again. Now, uh, I asked her then before we got off the plane, I said, um, where are you going? She said, Cincinnati. That's my hometown. That's where I'm from. My brother pastors a church there. I mean, Cincinnati is, you know, I know that place backwards and forwards. And I, I said, you're going to Cincinnati? She said, yeah, my son's uh, graduating from UC. And my sister is here with me on the plane. And I, so what I did is I called my brother Mark. And I got him to uh, connect with her at the hotel that they were staying downtown. Because she's a brand new Christian. She's still got questions. She needs some discipleship. So my brother, my, my pastor brother took her and the family and the son out to dinner the next night and continued to answer her questions and disciple her. Was that a setup or what? Now, I would have missed that whole thing if I would insisted that I get my elite status with the United Airlines and ignore what the Spirit of God wanted to do with me. Now, I want to tell you something. You're his vessel. He's got you placed. He determined where you would live, when you would live, what, what, what gender you would be. He knows your history. He knows your education. He knows everything about you. And he's got setups for you and me. And if I'll be prepared, okay, and I'll be intentional, but even that's good to be intentional, but if you're prepared by his providence, he'll move you around and he'll use you and touch people's lives. And number three, if you will remain obedient to the voice of the Spirit, I'm telling you what, we'll be able to bring words of life to people that are dying the worst death possible, eternal death. You actually have the words that can make the difference eternally for those around you. Amen. How many will volunteer to be a prepared vessel? Thank you for listening to this Sunday's sermon. Be sure to visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org for more resources.